Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca.ca. I'm so excited to share with you today. I've titled this message, Building and Establishing Radiant Family. Why radiant? Because we are a light in the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden, and we are arising and shining, for our light has come. Yay! So I'm going to put up the scripture, and if you want, you can stand with me and read it. I think it's such a beautiful thing when we stand and declare scripture together. This is an adaptation of the passage, Matthew 5. It's the AMT version, the Aunt MacDonald translation. Because <laughs> I believe that you should let a scripture marinate inside of you until it's your own words. So here goes, read with me. My life lights up the world. Others will see my light from a distance because you can't hide a city on a hilltop. So I won't hide my light. I will let my light shine brightly before others so that the commendable things I do shine like light on those around me and then they will praise my daddy in heaven, my Abba Father. Yay! I want to pray. Father, I pray that you impact something so deeply in our hearts today that we are found in you, Father, but we are formed in family. Form us in family today, Father. The spirit of adoption, come and soak us so deeply in this truth of our identity here today and build this family, Father. Build and establish your radiant collective church family. Amen. This is a message that has been percolating, I feel like, my whole life. Um, But it's taken captive of our hearts in the last year. Growing up, I had a host of imaginary friends. Not personalities, friends. Um, I was the last of five children, and my siblings are all quite a lot older than me. And they didn't always want to play with me, so I had to make a way for myself. And my friends were actually a family, my imaginary friends, and we played family. And in my imaginary world, I was this amazing mom, and I had these amazing children, and we did amazing things. Anyway, so as I pondered and just prayed in the last few weeks what to share, what to share, what to share, I thought it was either two things. It was kings and priests or family, and Rob stole kings and priests. So I was pretty convinced that it had to be family. And when I said to Rob, I think I must preach on family, he said, yes, that's your message. That's the thing you love to build the most. So I'm so excited. But I want to paint a picture today for you of Radiant Family, the dream of our Father, as well as give you practical ways that you can think about how you take up your natural place in this family, in this Radiant Family, and how together we build and establish it well. Because in family, what we do is more important than what we say. Teaching is awesome, but example is king. We are not called to be like family. We are called family. That revelation for me is so important. We are not called to imitate. We are called family. The Lord calls us family. We have a father, God. We have Jesus, our brother. We have sisters. And I'm imploring today that above all, you think of God never outside of his fatherness. And you think of yourself and others never outside of brother and sister. 
So this is taken from our website. I'm going to ask Rob to put it up. I don't think when we wrote it, we actually quite understood how anointed and how profound it was, what the Lord was giving us. I love that we say this thing on our website under family, the section on family. It's, we say, the more that heaven comes to earth, it's Jonathan David Halser, the more heaven comes to earth, the more earth looks like family. I was so proud the other night I went out with Leandri, we went to the Handmade Fair, and she said, you know, I was telling this friend of mine that we say this thing in our church that the more heaven comes to earth, the more earth looks like family. I was like, yes. <laughs> but this is what we wrote. We said the Holy Spirit draws us, not up, into family where we get to champion each other's hearts, to live whole, to be known, to pursue the dream of living the life we were created to live. We don't follow Jesus as individuals only, but as a family of believers consumed by his love, his power, and his presence. That's worship. We long to see others come home to the Father. I'm going to unpack those six things tonight. Championing, hearts living whole, to be known, pursuing the dream of living the life we were created to live, following Jesus alone and together, and longing to see others come home. How is that worship tonight? Oh my goodness. Guys, you are like some of my favorite worship leaders in the whole world. That's what I was thinking. How, how lucky are we? <laughs> okay, to champion, guys. We can turn it off. Thanks, Robbie. What does champion mean? To vigorously support, to fight for, to battle for, to stand up for. I interviewed a guy this week on my podcast and he said this, your circle should want to see you win. Your circle should clap the loudest when you have good news. If they don't, get another circle. <laughs> Can we be those people? Can we be that circle to one another? Guys, we are not championing a building or a thing or a ministry. We are not championing this dining room. We are championing each other. And we are giving our lives for the same thing Jesus gave his life for for the Father's dream, a family. We are not attached to a building that we're dreaming of one. We are attached to one another. And I think it's so important that we get that. Don't hear me wrong. I love the prophetic picture that we have started to meet in this home, that this home that was their dream, that they poured out their blood, their sweat, their tears, their finances, their joy into, we are birthed out of. Isn't it beautiful? Remember these days, they are precious. They are going to pass. <laughs> we're going to grow I don't know how but or what it looks like but we are going to really grow but here's my prayer that we will stay family always that we will build now such a strong solid foundation of family that when the Lord is ready he can add so many more to it and we can hold it well so what does the practical stuff of championing look like first thing I want to say it looks like meals Profound, hey? <laughs> Families, healthy ones at least, get around a table. Have a devotion to fellowship, Acts 2.42. It's a daily discipline. I'm going to read Acts 2.46. And the context is that the Holy Spirit has just been poured out. Peter has preached this cracker sermon and thousands of people have said, yes, we want Jesus. Can you imagine the logistics for the disciples that day? Whoa, now what? There are now thousands of them. What do we do? What did they do? Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord just kept adding daily, daily, daily to them. Our table at home 
seats 14 people. We squished more in amongst the, the, that space. And if I reflect on the highlights of my year, that 99% of them are around that table. It's our mealtimes as families, it's our birthday celebrations, it's our vulnerable, honest talks and conversations with our friends as we pour our hearts into this thing. It's moments with you guys at home group, it's moments with some of you over dinners, it's friends from varsity days. And I thought back to two things. One was that before March, before we got this poem that was bigger, we had a tiny little table where we could only fit four other people around. And that was so hard, but we still put people around that table time and time and time again. Doesn't matter how long your table is. This is a dream of ours fulfilled to have this long table to fit more around. But it doesn't matter if you've only got space for one more person, you've still got space. And I thought back to my own childhood, and this love for the table comes from my parents. We ate every single meal around a table. And we never had a lot financially, but we always had enough to share. So someone else always got fed in our home. And one of the things my heart ached for the most when I went to university a thousand kilometers away from home was Sunday. Because every Sunday we had this rhythm. We go to church on a Sunday, we stop by the quick spa on the way home, get fresh rolls, get the newspaper, we go home, my mom cooks a roast and roly-poly pudding. We all sit down to eat it. There's inevitably five or six other people squished around the table. And then we just relax as a family. And that's the thing my heart longed for. And I was saying to Ro today, I was saying, we need to reinstate the roast. <laughs> I want our house to be a place <laughs> where people bring a bottle of wine and some pudding and we gather together on a Sunday because it is such a beautiful rhythm. But you know what? When I thought about my parents, I thought it was never perfection that drove it. It was intention. And I thought that's so good because sometimes we can get wound up and it must be perfect and things must be perfect. And some of you have experienced that in our home. I'll say come for dinner, but I actually don't have the capacity to cook something that day. <laughs> and so you've eaten ready-made meals from the marketplace. But that wasn't the main thing. The main thing was that we got to sit down and we got to look at each other. And it's one of my favorite places to be with few or with many, asking questions, listening, leaning in, laughing, enjoying one another, seeing and hearing the Holy Spirit for those who are sitting around my table, encouraging and praying together. And as I was preparing this, I realized this is Daddy God's idea, his idea. The table was his idea. Exodus 25, the table of the presence. He is giving instructions for the tabernacle in Exodus 25, and he says to them, build a holy place. And part of the holy place is the table, but how's this? Keep this always on the table. The bread of the presence on the table. Jesus is that bread, our bread, our true sustenance, and he is always present. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. He's the mediator. He's the better covenant. He's our high priest. He's the one who has given us our seat back at the Father's table. He's the one who's brought us back to our Father's lap. And when you have that revelation, that's the substance of your fellowship. And Jesus did meals. If you go through just looking for when Jesus did meals, you will find time and time and time again how food just brought people together and made a way. One of my favorite, favorite moments in Scripture is when Jesus reinstates Peter and he basically makes him breakfast on the beach. He's like, you're going to have a, probably a little bit of loser complex after what happened before the cross. <laughs> so 
I'm going to come and make you breakfast, and we're not even going to talk about that. I'm just going to remind you who you are. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know why I love the, the table so much? Because we sit and we look in each other's eyes and we're equal. Isn't that beautiful? We look in each other's eyes. Romans 3 from the message says, We have all compiled this long and sorry record of, as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. So God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus, the bread of life. Radiant families, guys. This radiant family we're building looks in each other's eyes, sees Jesus in each other's eyes, fights for and champions one another, stands up for one another. There is a fox that is trying to destroy this vineyard, and it's a real thing. It's called the vanishing table. Families are eating less and less together because of TV, and worse still, the invasion of the internet and mobile devices is such a threat to our time at the table. The table is a place of making memories and of conversation. I want to encourage you to get around your tables, to invite others to join you, to ask to join if you feel lonely, to invite yourself around, to say, I'm going to cook. I don't care if you say you're going to cook and you come and make beans on toast. I'll be so stoked that I didn't have to cook. <laughs> and my children will be so stoked if you make beans on toast, actually. Initiate is what I'm saying. Deliberately look out for the left out and for the lonely. God puts the lonely into families. And there is actually a lonely weed in every single one of us that gets yanked out as the seed of family takes root. Look for and have meals with those who are least like you because the Lord has so much to teach you from those who are least like you. I was so rocked by the story my sister told me when I was in Durban last weekend. She was mentioning the stuff and we were catching up on life and she said, she mentioned, Be I'll call her Betsy. She asked me not to mention her name, so... She says, yeah, there's something about Betsy. And I say, you're talking about Betsy, Betsy, Betsy the whole time. She says, have I not told you about Betsy? And she starts telling me the story. So her and her 14-year-old daughter, so my sister's name is Jen. Her and her 14-year-old daughter, Isabella, were walking around the block a couple of months ago. Just went for a walk one afternoon. If you know my sister, she has a chronic fear of anything that crawls. Like gecko, lizard is like her worst nightmare. So while her and Isabella are walking, Isabella screams because she sees this gecko-y lizard thing that my sister's about to step on and she knows my sister's going to freak out, so she screams. My sister screams back. <laughs> A scream that she says reverberates to KZN and people start coming out their houses. So anyway, after they've gotten over the scream, they're laughing so much and one little old lady, Betsy, 85-year-old woman, comes out of her home and she is like, well, what is going on here? And they tell her and they say, we are so sorry. We say, and they laugh and we live around the corner. And oh, how long have you lived here? And they kind of exchange pleasantries. Anyway, Betsy, lots of love. Cheers. See you. And off they go. As they walk away, my sister's 14-year-old bursts into tears. And my sister's like, what is wrong? And she says, mom, I think God just told me I'm going to be friends with that old lady. Oh. And my sister's like, that's nice. And they carry on walking, and she's very emotional. And my sister's like, shame, that's very sweet. Anyway, the next morning, my sister says, they wake up, she comes through, she's in a puddle of tears again. My sister's like, Isabella, what is wrong? 
She says, Mommy, last night I prayed. I couldn't stop thinking about Betsy. And I just said, God, I need a sign. If that was your, you and that's your voice, I want to know. Because if I'm meant to be friends with her, and he said, it was me, and I will show you, and you're going to learn something from her, and she's going to learn something from you. So my sister was now like, this is very interesting. So she's like, please, Mommy, can I go to her this afternoon? So my sister's like, okay, calm down. I'll take you after school. We'll go and get a packet of biscuits and we'll go and ask her if we can have tea with her. So after school, my sister says, it's so rare. Normally she has both her other girls with her as well. Today she's only got Isabella. They get to spa. They walk into spa. Isabella's so excited about it. Mom, I know God's just going to show me. I know that I'm going to get a sign. And they walk into Betsy. <laughs> and my sister says, Isabella's like jittery and... My sister goes, Betsy! And Betsy's like, who are you? <laughs> and my sister's like, we're the screaming gecko people from yesterday. And she's like, oh, hi, hi. And she started sort of walking out of the spa. My sister's like, we were just talking about you. And this woman's like, looks at my sister. She's my daughter would love to come and have a cup of tea with you. And my sister says, you're going to slap this woman with a wet fish. She was like, oh, okay. And my sister said, yo, yo, can we come now? She said, well, I'm going somewhere. Can you rather come tomorrow at this time or whatever? They make a plan. The next day they go for tea. My sister's daughter is like so excited. She's making tea in the kitchen and Betsy and my sister are sitting there. <laughs> and Betsy says to my sister, Genevieve, what is this about? So my sister says, Betsy, um, uh, do you believe in God? <laughs> so Betsy says, yes, I think so. So my sister says, it's a God thing. I don't know how to explain it. So she says, what do you mean? She says that God told her that you two are going to be friends. So Betsy says, oh, sweet, is she religious? So my, <laughs> my sister says, no, not particularly. <laughs> so Betsy says, oh, okay, well, that's, that's very sweet. So my sister says, Betsy, to be honest, I have no idea what my 14-year-old wants with an 85-year-old, but here we, here we are. And the friendship has developed over the months. Betsy has never been married, never had children. She has become such a beautiful part of my sister's family. She picks Isabella up from school sometimes. Isabella goes to visit her, takes her flowers, and she phones my sister and she says, Genevieve, Isabella's weeding my garden. And Genevieve says, she's never done that at home. I just was blown away how God puts the lonely into families. And I said to my sister, well done for teaching your 14-year-old to see other people. Well done for building and pouring compassion into that heart and for, for going, go, you heard God, go, you heard God. What a story, hey? Anyway, when we get around the table, let's go after conversation. Krista Tippett runs a podcast called On Being. She's one of my heroes. She won a Humanities Award from President Obama. She interviews the wisest people around the world and they talk about the most beautiful issues of life. And she says she listens for a, listen, a living. She says, I listen for wisdom, for beauty, and for voices shouting not to be heard. She says, listening, it's about being present and not just about being quiet. And I thought to myself, words create worlds. And if we would listen to each other's words more intently, we would understand the world that one another is living in. And add to that listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you get to call someone out of one world into another world. Krista says, conversation done well strengthens relationship and we need strong relationship. Good conversation has good questions in it. 
searching questions. It has genuine curiosity. It's more than talk, guys. Think about the important, the hardest conversations you've had in your life, the conversations that were turning points. Inevitably, they probably had a lot of silence in them. And they have a lot of trust in them, which is often earned long before the conversation is possible. Work on your conversation skills. Effective communication is critical to us building this radiant family, critical to us building healthy relationships. Many of our families and our experience with family Yes. <laughs> Many of our families and our experience of families has lacked good conversation, especially church family. And I believe families break down over, over this. But more than that, I believe Radiant Family can be built on this. Kurt spoke so beautifully about our homes being museums of memories and, and a vital part of making memories is, is conversation. And I want to encourage you to add to that thanksgiving, celebration, and appreciation. Use your table times to give thanks to God, to give thanks for each other. When last were you able to look at the people opposite you and give thanks for what's in their lives? Celebrate one another. Share your lives. Share your birthdays. Don't wait for funerals to shower one another with words. Champion one another. Be lavish in your encouragement. Say the stuff you think about people but never say. Say it to them. You know, when I got to varsity, I started to unpack that my parents were imperfect. And it was a hard revelation. And when I got home, I wanted to have a specific conversation with my mom because I felt like at a certain period of my teenage years, she rejected me. That was my perception. And if you know my mom or if you've met her, she's an introvert. She is a gentle, quiet lady. We are very different. And she said to me, she said, come sit here. She said, I didn't reject you. I just didn't think you needed me because you were so confident and you were achieving so much and you were doing all these things and you were getting a appreciation and recognition from so many other places. And I was like, no, I needed it from you. And it was such a beautiful conversation because she said, I'm so sorry. We just are so different. And we got to, we, we restored something there. And she is such an encourager now. Um, and I think it's such an important thing I think something that really kills this. Sit with David, please. Okay. Something that really kills this is hiding and false humility. If we are going to build strong family, we have to commit to honesty in our relationships. And I'm not just talking about sharing the hard stuff, I'm talking about sharing the good stuff. Let us share in one another's victories. One of the many ways that God speaks. I believe it's through friendship. And we keep saying this thing to each other. We say, you are the friends who've become family. And so many of the brave things that we are walking, to, walking through in this season came out of conversations, chit-chats around tables, playdates where the sprinklers on and the children are naked. And we are reading out of each other's journals to one another to encourage us. What's the Lord saying to you? Oh, he's saying this. He's saying that to me. And it's not like Kirsty said, and I have a word from you from the Lord. You should do journaling workshops. She was like, you should do journaling workshops. There's breakthrough in the stuff you're reading to me. And that was like awakened a seed inside of me. And I started thinking about it, journaling about it, praying about it. And then I remember one night, Tracy, dear Tracy, slept over. And I was saying to her, hey, this is, I want to do this. And she said, okay, teach it to me like you're going to teach it. No, that sucks. I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> but that is how things evolve and develop. Um, 
Anyway, there's a lot of TED Talks on how to do conversation well. If you're struggling with conversation, go and look at those. The next thing I want to speak about is living wholehearted lives. I'm not going to speak too much about this because I actually think that we are massaging this core value of this family into every single thing we do every single week. So I think you know what I mean, but I'll say it like this. Your heart is your most valuable gift. Your heart is your most valuable gift. Work on your heart. Do the work. It is the most valuable gift to God, to yourself, to the family, to the world. If you skimp on your inner life, your outer life will suffer. Get to know yourself well. Most people don't know themselves well because they're so busy looking at someone else. If you never heal from what hurt you, you're going to bleed on people that didn't cut you. I'll say it again, brother. If you never heal from what hurt you, you will bleed on people that never cut you. This is about freedom. This is about working out our salvation in every area of our life, joyfully working out our salvation. And it's about fruit. And fruit and success are such different things. It's so important that we know the difference because success gets worshipped and glorified, even in the church. But let's celebrate fruit together. Let's be a family that celebrates fruit, that goes yes to the fruit of forgiveness, yes to the fruit of peace, yes to the fruit of less anxiety. Just this week I was saying to her, she said, how did you do your first night alone in the big house without Ro? He was away. And I was like, I, I slept well. I wasn't scared. And she knows because she's walked a long road with me of anxiety and fear of things happening at night. The fruit of authenticity, the fruit of vulnerability, the fruit of creativity and courage, that's what Radiant Family looks like. This family highly values your inner world and your inner life. We are going to celebrate your inner victories with you. Henry Nolan says it so beautifully, the difference between fruit and success. He says there's such a great difference between successfulness and fruitfulness. Success comes from strength, control, and respectability. A successful person has energy to create something and keep control over its development and make it available in large quantities. Success will bring many rewards and often fame. Fruit, however, comes from weakness and vulnerability, and fruits are unique. A child is the fruit conceived in vulnerability. Community is the fruit born through shared brokenness. And intimacy is the fruit that grows through touching one another's wounds. Let's remind ourselves that what brings true joy is not successfulness, but fruitfulness. So good, yeah. I want to encourage you as the year is coming to a close and we get reflective and we spend time reflecting on this year and we start thinking about the next year to go, what fruit was produced in me in 2018? And what fruit do I want to see growing in my life in 2019? And is there more love? Is there more joy? Is there more peace? Is there more patience? Is there more kindness? Is there more self-control? Is there more gentleness? Is there more faithfulness? Are you with me? Being known. To be loved is to be known, and to be known is to be loved. That is a little excerpt from a beautiful monologue about the woman at the well. There's an adaptation on YouTube if you type in the woman at the well. There's this beautiful monologue this girl does about the woman at the well. John 4. She's a whole preacher on her own. I absolutely love that woman. And I love um, how she was, she was known before she met Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. She was that woman. But what happened when she encountered Jesus? She became known by him, loved by him, and that trumped her reputation back home. 
I love her encounter so much with Jesus. I fall deeper in love with him every single time I read it. She goes to that well alone and ashamed. And they reckon that she went at noon, at the peak of the day, where it was the hottest because no one else would be there. And Jesus redirects his boys, tells them to go buy food so that he can be right there with her. He knew what was in her and he knew what he wanted to see her become. She goes and they have this long conversation. It's actually one of the longest conversations in the Gospels that Jesus has with anyone, a Jew with a Samaritan. And they, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other so much. But she goes, and after they've had this long conversation, she's done with her pot. She doesn't need that anymore. And she runs to get the others who she knows are as thirsty as she is. And she's got no reputation anxiety anymore. She's a new person. Speak about a word transforming a world. And I, I want you to remember something from that story. And if you let the Lord open you up here, and you live in vulnerability and honesty with him here, you can open up your life here with people. It's such a beautiful picture of the cross. You come here in shame and in hiding and in brokenness, and he exchanges it for boldness. She becomes, um, they, are, they pieced together sermons from the 4th and the 5th century, and they've pieced together her story. It is so beautiful. They don't know her name before she was, uh, met Jesus, but they know that the day she got baptized, they renamed her Fotini, the one of enlightenment, they called her. And that day she got baptized, all five of her sisters got baptized with her and her two sons. And they call her the great apostle and the great evangelist of her day. And they say that she traveled to, to what is now Tunisia, to North Africa, and she was converting people at a rapid rate to the point that word got back to Nero and he was like, I want this woman dead. And when she hears that Nero wants her dead, she says, I'll go to him. He doesn't even have to summon me. And on she goes with her entourage of her five sisters and her two sons. And they go and they demand to see Nero. They wait at the doors. And he is so annoyed. Like, who, how dare you? Who are you to come and demand to see me? And he says, how dare you? And she says, we have come so that the message of Jesus could come to your life. He's so taken by her that he, irritated and angry that he says straight away beat their hands and he makes them put their hands out and he says beat their hands with iron rods for an hour and so they start beating their hands for an hour and they eventually stop because there's no pain there's no blood there's nothing happening <laughs> and he says to her explain why you are not screaming in agony and her voice rings out in joy, it says. And she quotes the well-known psalm by David. God is my help. No matter what anyone does to me, I will not be afraid. So he's so raging. He thinks I have to try a different approach with this one. She's quite special. So he calls his daughter and her hundreds of slaves. And he says, you tempt them with all the gold and the jewels that you can find in this palace. And so they begin to do this. <laughs> Fotini and the sisters begin to share about the miracles of Jesus and the wonder of the gospel and all the slaves and the daughter get saved and they demand that all the gold and all the silver goes and gets given to the poor. Nero is so raging mad after this that he gets them thrown into a furnace, all of them, and he says, we'll open that furnace after seven days. What happens after seven days? Not a single hair is singed. He's now furious. So he orders that all of them be beheaded except her and he makes her watch them all be beheaded and he sends her to jail. And she's so devastated, she would love to have died with all of them. And he puts her in prison for the next three years. And by the end of the three years, there's no one left in the prison because everyone's saved and everyone's been baptized by her. 
So he, he says, well, I think it's time we drink poison. And she says, I'll drink poison. And she drinks the poison. And she says, look at the power of my God and Christ. <laughs> the poison failed to harm her. So he threw her into a dry well. And they heard her shouting out. And she said that Jesus appeared to her three times and did the sign of the cross over her three times. And she died. And what a story. And when you think now about that encounter of the woman at the well and what was in her and what Jesus saw in her and what he knew her life would look like, he wasn't fussed. He wasn't fussed by what was going on in her life. He just called her into a better life and he just called her to the well that would never run dry. And may we be like, like Fotini, may we be like that woman who keeps, we're encouraging each other in Radiant Family, run to Jesus, run to Jesus. And in your running to Jesus, remember you're a well. And you run away from Jesus and you're a well and you leak all over everybody else. <coughs> the next thing I'm going to talk about is pursuing dreams. Rob did such an amazing job preaching on this at Sean and Neen's launch. And if you didn't, if you weren't there, I really encourage you to get that preach. Because the main thing that I took from what he was saying was that family, radiant family, creates an atmosphere where dreams, it's safe to dream and people can begin to dream and dreams begin to take shape. So I want to encourage you when you get together, ask one another, what are you dreaming about? What are you dreaming about? What are your dreams? It is so intrinsic to sons and daughters who are born from the ultimate dreamer to dream. And then you plan out those dreams in family and you be accountable with those dreams. I interviewed Kirst for my podcast and we spoke about visions, visioneering and, and dreaming. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. But we, we spoke about something pro so profound that Bishop T.D. Jake says. He says, vision and dreaming is much like architecture. If you can sketch it with a pencil, you can build it with steel. Isn't that so amazing? That the things that we would just begin to, to plot out, to have ideas about, to journal about, can become these beautiful things. Dream with God. I think some of you have heard us share the story. We're in the car one night, Rona driving home from the Val from seeing his, his brother. Rubes was asleep and Sam was listening to us chat and we were talking about this dream to travel through the States, to take time out of our lives at, at some point and just travel and explore together as a family. And Sam was listening so intently and so engaged in our conversation and he popped up from the back and he said, Mommy, Daddy, is this one of your dreams? And we said, yes, lovey, this is one of our dreams. And he was like, listen for a while. And then he pops up from the back. Do you know what one of my dreams is? So we're like, what, boy? He says, I want to go to the biggest, best museum in the whole world. So we are suddenly like whoo, charged with excitement. Rose Googling like, what's the biggest, best museum in the world? I'm like, what is it? What is it? He said, the Smithsonian. Okay, it's in Washington. Yes, we must go to Washington. And this little guy's like, big eyes. What the heck is going on here? And then he's like, but mommy, is this now one of your dreams? And I'm like, absolutely, now that you just shared it with me, it's totally one of my dreams. And you know those moments where you're like, oh my goodness gracious me, foundational God moment for all of us. Isn't God just like that? We open up our lives and we share with him something that's on our heart and he gets behind it and he fans it into flame. But you have to get it out of you sometimes. And you have to recognize that you are his dream and so when you get together with other people, you get excited because you're like, what's God put inside of you? It's totally different to what he's put inside of me. Radiant family seeds the seeds of greatness in one another. I loved what Neen was praying during worship. Who knows that the seed looks nothing like the plant that it becomes? 
Acorns look nothing like oak trees. Don't despise your acorns. <laughs> your kids might look like nothing. Your marriage might look like nothing. Our little community might look like nothing. But it's a seed. On Wednesday night at prayer meeting, I felt so strongly that there were seeds in every single one of us in this community that have been dormant. And that now we are in the right atmosphere and environment for these seeds to grow. And we're going to throw fertilizer on one another. You're very quiet. <laughs> Get with the Lord and ask him what are the seeds in you and what are the seeds in this family and what are the seeds in your family that you can cultivate in this season. There's a super obvious seed here. This is a family that sees the seeds in one another and then celebrates slow and steady. Why? Because it takes time to be excellent. We are not about overnight anything here. Overnight success, big church. That's not what we're about. It's unsustainable. Great family is like great marriage. It takes time and intentionality and good rhythms today and then some more good rhythms tomorrow and then some more good rhythms the next day where nobody sees and some more good rhythms the next day. It's not really the sexy stuff you see on Facebook and Instagram nowadays. We are not on the earth to make impressions or to get likes. We are here to have impact. Encourage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Winston Churchill. The fruit of our dreams, guys, is stuff we're only going to see in years to come. It's not quick stuff. It's going to just suddenly appear. The last, second to last thing, following Jesus, not just alone, but together. There are too many disciples who aren't actually, um, there are too many believers who aren't disciples of Jesus. They don't follow him alone. And following him alone is about deep personal relationship with him. Without that, we don't really change much. And the radiant collective family wants to see and will see those who have good rhythms of both being alone with Jesus plus a devotion to fellowship. Meeting together, following him together, getting excited for each other, getting excited for our city together. There's something that happens when we get together. It's like we grab each other's faith. Hey, isn't it beautiful? And we're like, yes, there's more. There's more for all of us. Recently at Home Group, we were talking about letting the Word of God dwell richly in us, Colossians 3.16. And it was such a profound revelation for me because I realize in my own life where there's word poverty. And I was thinking about that scripture, let the Word of Jesus dwell in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach, instruct one another with the Psalms, festive praises and prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. Sing your heart out to God. And there's something that stands out here. Believers walk in the word of God and walk in worship with one another. And we encourage each other out of that place. And, and we have no lack in our lives around the word. We, we're not confused about what the word says about this or about that. We own it. We've lived with it. We've stared at the word. Stare at the word. Stare at the word. Stare at the word. And lastly, guys, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Others coming home. The radiant collective family has so much room in their hearts for the lives of the lost. We want to see the table full and overflowing. So we will reach out. We will deliberately go out of our way for the lost. We will pray for the prodigals. We dream about them. We long for them. We make space in our hearts and in our homes for them. This is not an exclusive family. This family will go hunting. 
This family will leave the 99 for the one just because the Father has done that for each one of us. So we might be small now, but we're not saying let's stay small so we can stay like family. We're saying let's build family and let's keep on building family and let's never stop building family because at its best, it's a reflection of the kingdom. And that is intrinsic to our identity as children of God. So we are the Radiant Collective family. Let's shine. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca.ca.